You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, please turn to Genesis chapter 5. Um, The reason we continue to focus on Genesis is because we live in this day and time, as as Dale has already talked about, where what is real and what is true is under constant attack. I look at what's being taught in schools, and I'm blown away. You're telling me a guy's not a guy and a girl's not a girl, and we can't figure that out? Stuff like that blows my mind. I hear and see what's being shouted from the rooftops of uh, social media, and uh, it truly infuriates me. There are so many lies and so many deceptions out there, and uh, almost every view that is dominating our daily feed, our daily intake of information, is pro-humanist and anti-God. And at a time such as this, what is of utmost importance is that we know what is true. What is true? What is right? So that's the question. What is true and right? And Jesus tells us this. If you ever, as a follower of Christ, the answers are all right here. I mean, thankfully, you don't have to take my word for it. We can look exactly in the word of God. So what is true? Well, Jesus says in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If there's any doubt to what Jesus is saying, he goes on in John 14, 6, he says, I am, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What about righteousness? What is that? Where do we find that? Psalms 119, as we've studied, these are all verses from Psalms 119, 19, 138 says, You have commanded your testimonies in righteousness and exceeding faithfulness. In verse 160, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. In verse 172, Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. So let me sum it up for you. All truth is found in Jesus, and the word of the Lord is is filled with righteousness. So while the prince of the power of the air seeks to lead you in this unfulfilled confusion of life, the author of life gives you his son so that you may have what is true. And he writes to you in his word that he may lead you down a path of righteousness. So as we look at this book of Genesis, we see this earliest of human history of mankind, and we see these stories and truths that are foundational to the rest of the scriptures. In fact, it's important to note that the book of Genesis covers the first third of all human history. Do you know that? It covers the first third of all human history, and that's an amazing fact. So knowing that, I believe we should give it the respect it's due. And so today, we're looking at chapter 5, and if you've been reading ahead or reading along, you will have noticed uh, this is a genealogy, and the things about genealogies is when we come across them in our, like, our Bible reading plans, you tend to read like the first two or three names, and then you're like, I think I'll just move past this. 
and uh, go to chapter 6. And as far as teaching it, uh, it's, it's, it can be a challenge because it can sound boring and repetitive. Um, uh, this guy is the father of this guy, and then he died. And this guy is the father of this guy, and then he died. And then this guy is the father of this guy, and then he died. You get it. So it can, it can sound boring and repetitive, but the truth is I asked Dale if I could teach this one because I think when we look at this deeper Man, there's so much more going on here than just a list of names. And so I've, I, I went back and forth. Uh, I've, I've, I've landed on a certain number of points here I want to make and, and, and some takeaways uh, this morning as we look at this chapter in Genesis. The first point I want to make is a bonus point. It's a pre-point. It's a pre-point, and it's, it's one that Paul makes, not one that I make, that Paul makes. And it's so interesting um, I did spend a lot of time uh, preparing the sermon, but to be fully honest, I didn't talk to Dale about some things. He had Aubrey read Titus this morning. We're, I'm fixing, we're fixing to look at Titus. And, and the, the scripture for the catechism, First Timothy uh, 3.16, yeah, we're, we're fixing to look at that. I didn't even know, I mean, this is just the way that God works. I think it's Side point, kind of amazing. So, First Timothy, uh, this this is Paul t- uh, talking to Timothy. Timothy is one of Paul's disciples, um, and he, he's he's talking to Timothy. He's telling him these important things. Starting in verse fifteen, he says, "From infancy, you have known the holy scriptures." You see, his grandma and his mom taught him from his youngest of ages. These these. Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. It is so important to know that. Um, Young people, old people, everybody in between, if you're going to know... Know another 316 verse besides John 316? This one right here. Uh, it is so, it is of such foundational important, uh, importance uh, for not just what we're talking about today, but for all the scripture because it tells us that God's work, God's word is good uh, for equipping every Christian for works of uh, righteousness. So he says, this to, he says this to Timothy, and then in Titus, in chapter 3, uh, Aubrey read out chapter 2, but in chapter 3, starting in verse 4, it says this, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to, stre- I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Verse 9 is what I'm kind of keying in on here. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, is he saying to avoid genealogies like the one found in Genesis 5? Absolutely not. Of course not. 
In fact, what he's saying is very relevant to us today. You see, in, in Paul's time, in Titus's time, Timothy's time, just like today, there are so many that are trying to misrepresent the true word of God and, and, and mix in these different genealogies and these new books of the Bible that are they're not from God. And it's one of the oldest tricks of the devil there is. Since the promise of a coming redeemer through the seed of the woman, the devil has tried again and again and again to corrupt the, uh, the bloodline from Eve to Jesus. We know he was unsuccessful because of the genealogies provided throughout the entire Bible. And, I mean, both Old and New Testament. So what's interesting is that Genesis 5 is considered, even today, actually one of the most controversial chapters in the whole Bible. And the problem is, if it's true, and it is, <laughs> absolutely is, then it blows a massive hole in the theory of evolution and this idea that there's this old earth and that things just happen and there's no need for a God. It just, that inorganic material can all of a sudden be made organic and life can happen without the presence of a creator God. A lot, of, and a, a lot of people hate Genesis 5 for that reason because it, it helps in pointing to the fact that there's a young earth and that there is a creator God. So to sum it up, what Paul is saying to both Timothy and Titus is basically, look, every single word from God is to be used to teach ourselves and others about him, including, including the genealogies. But if you encounter false teachers that try to introduce these new genealogies, or, or new scriptures, you need to kick that to the curb. You need to focus on God and focus on God's word. And that's true for us today. So we're going to heed Paul's words and stick to God's word. All right, so enough of an intro. Let's, let's read chapter 5. Uh, forgive me if I mispronounce these names. I will do my best. Uh, but we're going to read all of Genesis chapter 5. So if you're there, follow along with me. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Uh, Enosh lived, after he fathered uh, Kenan, 815 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Um, Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalel, 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus, the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. 
Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with the Lord, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 800, uh, or I'm sorry, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Uh, Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, "Out of the ground." that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toils of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 770 years, 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, he fathered Sheph, Ham, and Japheth. All right. So if you just, on the surface... That can sound really repetitive. So what we're going to do is, uh, to the best of my ability, we're going to dig into this and see what we, can, what we can get out of it. And so believe it or not, like I said, there, there are actually a ton of topics to cover here. But I, I'm just going to have this one point and then a couple of subpoints to it. And the main point is this, that the son of promise is coming. The son of promise is coming, all right? So the first way we see this is in this unbroken link between Adam and Noah. You see, this gene- uh, genealogy is about the sons of promise and how we get from one to the other. See, first we see that the sons of promise are revealed uh, when the promise is fulfilled. That's what I want to start off with. We see that the sons of promise are revealed once the promise is fulfilled. See, today, when we look at genealogies, we, we start, typically, we start with ourselves and we work backwards, right? We start, like, if somebody comes up to you and is like, hey, give me your genealogy, like, well, my parents are this, and my grand, here's my grandparents, and here's my great-grandparents, and, and so we kind of start where we're at and work backwards. And the end go- goal of our genealogies today is to answer the question of like how do we get how do I get to me and and when we look at this genealogy and others through the Bible we need to know where they're headed we need to know where does this list of names lead to where does it lead to and this genealogy is about how we arrive at Noah from Adam to Noah and Noah is a deliverer we will see that Noah is a great deliverer and uh what we need to see is how Noah is in this direct line as a descendant of Adam and uh, not just any descendant of Adam because we see here it says and Adam had other sons and daughters, right? But it doesn't say here when we look at, at verse 1 we, we don't see or when we look back to see Adam he says that he had Seth and Seth lived 105 years and then Enosh and Kenan and Mahalel and Jared and all the way down to, to uh, Noah. What we don't see is that Noah doesn't come through the line of Cain or, or any of these other people. He comes specifically through Seth and there's a purpose for that. Um, so 
as we look at that, so much, so much is not said in this chapter. You know, I, when you read this chapter, you look at it, and I, something that comes to my mind, maybe it comes to your mind, is, man, how great would it have been if we had a little bit more information here? I mean, uh, how great would it have been if we we had heard, you know, what did Methuselah do for 969 years? <laughs> what did what did uh, man? If if Enoch was such a godly dude. If he was the like this perfect godly man, let's hear how he lived. Let's 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 look at that some more. Or all these other sons and daughters. It says, and he lived and he fathered other sons and daughters, and he had other sons and daughters. And who are all these other sons and daughters? What role do they play? But this chapter isn't about the other sons and daughters, and it's not even really about Enoch and the fact that he was a godly man. It's truly about, let me show you how we get from Adam to Noah because that's of great importance. So, what we see now, and we have the benefit of this, being here uh, living 2,000 years after the coming of Jesus, we have this hindsight that we can look at this and, and so we're blessed with that ability to look at it and see that these sons of promise, uh, what their purpose was. And so we see that this, uh, once the promise has been fulfilled, which it was in Jesus, we can see their relevance. The second sub-point here is that the sons of promise are determined by covenant and not merit. The sons of promise are determined by covenant and not merit. You see, when you look at this list... Um, once again, one of the main names that sticks out is Enoch. But uh, it's 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 interesting that it's it's just those few short verses. Um, he it doesn't say anything more. It says starting in eighteen, when Jared had lived one hundred sixty years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch. 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After, and after he fathered Methuselah, at 300 years, he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with the Lord, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah... See, and it just goes right into his son, Methuselah. And so... The point is, the sons of promise were not determined uh, by covenant. And the way I want to say that, or, or us to see that, is that he, this, this is the only like, godly man that's like, pointed out in this line. But Moses, the writer of Genesis, doesn't give us any, inform, any more information. I mean... If you look in the Bible, like later on in Jude, you can find some things about Enoch, but not, not a whole lot more. And once again, I reiterate that the point of this chapter is not Enoch. And if we're not careful, we can read about Enoch and think that because of how Enoch lived, that God put him in this line. But there's nothing that says that. There's nothing that shows us that's the case. I mean... There's nothing that says that God looked at Enoch and said, that one's walking with me, therefore I think I'm going to make him the next one in the chain, right? The next link in the chain. Some of these guys 
they could have been real pieces of work. I mean, look at the genealogy of Jesus. When we look at the genealogy of Jesus, it wasn't made up of some of the most godly people in the world. It had some scoundrels in it. It had some questionable individuals in it. Now, what you, what you need to see here is that you don't earn your way into being a son of promise because it's the promise of God and not the promise of man. See, these sons of promise are determined by covenant and not by merit. And we see this throughout the Bible, and I just want to look at a couple of examples of this. We see it with Ishmael and Isaac in Genesis uh, 17, just a few chapters on down the way. It says this in Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will, shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant. That's important. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. So Abraham looks to God. After laughing, after God tells him something, he laughs. And then he looks to God and says, why not Ishmael? He's my firstborn son. Surely the firstborn is the son of promise, right? But God says no. He says that Isaac, Isaac is the one. So let me ask you this question. Is there anything that Isaac could have done before he was born to gain merit? To gain this uh, this covenant promise? Of course not. It's not about merit. It's about covenant. Isaac was the son of promise because God said so. Not because Isaac was worthy of it. That's important. That's real important when we think about ourselves and we think about the world we live in and we, and we really examine our hearts and we know, we know we're not worthy. If God's going to save us, His saving grace does all the work. We do nothing. It's not our merit. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord it's not. It's all God. Next, Jacob and Esau. This is in Genesis 25, but uh, Paul talks about it in Romans 9, so I'm going to read it out of Romans 9. Starting in verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who were descendants from Israel uh, belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But the children of promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so... But also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, through, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad, in order that God's promise of election might continue, not because of the works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, speaking of Esau and Jacob. As it is written, Jacob I loved 
but Esau I hated. Man, that's, that, once again, <laughs> that's also an extremely controversial chapter out of the Bible. Does not make it any less true. It can make it tough, but it does not make it not true. The sons of promise are there because of covenant and not merit, both with Jacob and Esau, both uh, also with uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Jacob didn't do anything to deserve to be part of the covenant. Neither did Isaac. But yet God had a plan and a purpose in place. The reason I can stand before you today and say that I'm a child of God is because it has everything to do with him and him keeping his covenant. It's got nothing to do with my merit. The same is true of all people across all time that claim Jesus as their Savior and Redeemer. This next point is that the sons of promise reveal the providence and justice of God. The sons of promise reveal the providence and justice of God. There's a phrase, I'm pretty sure you could have picked it out, that's repeated eight times in Genesis 5. And it was said of all the men, all the men except Enoch and Noah, but Noah, it's, it's coming shortly in chapter 6. And that phrase is, and he died, and he died, and he died. So what's the statement about? It's very simple. If we know what we were studying the past several weeks, we see that by the way of the curse of sin, death is coming. And this statement is about the justice of God. If you eat of this tree, surely you will die. And truly, we haven't seen that much death recorded up until this point in Genesis 5. We know that Cain murdered Abel, but there's not much more than that talked about. And here we see that this first man, the first created man, that even though he makes it 900, 930 years, he still dies. Death comes to all men. All of us, short of the Lord returning, will die. It's, it's part of the curse. Every time we go to a funeral, we should be reminded of the justice of God. So here we see this justice of God worked out. But the, son, the sons of promise here, they also show us the providence of God. Providence. I, I love this word. It's a great word. Uh, it's, it's a word that you don't hear often, right? Because it, it has no true worldly context. It's, it's a useless word apart from God. Providence. So what does providence mean? And it means the protecting power of God. So not is there just justice. Not only do we see this justice from God because of, of sin, but we see that there's going to be this providence that, yes, your descendants are going to die, but the providence of God says, I'm going to provide a way out. I, I will provide you a deliverer. And, and here's why Enoch, he, he, does, he plays this important role here because if there is no Enoch in these first ten generations, uh, I don't believe that there's any realized hope that there's more than just this mortal life. They can point to Enoch and say, there's something else. 
There's something else. God has something else because he wouldn't have taken, where, where would he take it and Enoch to? There's something going on here. Yeah, the curse is real. And, and yeah, I've watched my brothers and sisters die and I've watched uh, Abraham die, and, or not Abraham, uh, Adam. And, and uh, I know Abel was killed by uh, Cain. But there's something, something's going on here. Something of hope. So there's justice, but there's something else, and it's providence. And so, with Enoch, people, you know, without Enoch, people think you live, you die, and you're dead as a dog, and nothing else happens. But with Enoch, they see, they realize that there's more after death. That God takes Enoch as if to say to all the people then and to all the people now, death is not the end. It's not the end. The providence of God is that he provides for us both in life and in death. So, yes, we see the justice of God worked out. But also, remember the promise of God that was given back in Genesis 3. You see, Lamech, Noah's daddy, he knows this promise. This is an interesting fact. I've got these charts. I didn't, I didn't make any slides. I, I'm sorry. Uh, but I've got them and I can show them to you. But what's really interesting is that the only person in this list that didn't have the opportunity to meet Adam was Noah. That's pretty amazing. Down to the generation of Lamech. He, uh, he was around 56 years old probably when Adam died. So he had the ability... It doesn't say this in Scripture, but it is quite possible that Lamech had heard directly from Adam about this promise that God had given firsthand. It's possible that Adam could show him, here's where the garden's at. Here's, here's where the cherubim stand. All the way down to Lamech, all the way down to the end of this list except for Noah. And so what is Lamech do with this information it says verse 28 when Lamech had lived 182 years he fathered a son and called his name Noah saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed this one this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands so where does Lamech get this phrase from I believe he probably got it from Adam if not from his father who got it from Adam if not his great-grandfather who got it from Adam. You see, that's the amazing thing about this is that they all had the ability to go to the source. So Lamech knew this promise of God and he believed it. He believed that there's going to be this deliverer so he names his son accordingly and Noah is a deliverer. He is a son of promise. He is a deliverer. See, uh, Enoch is a sign of the promise, right? He's a sign of promise. There's something beyond death that uh, it's not, this isn't as good as it gets. And Noah is the son of promise. This brings us, brings me to the final point. Noah and all the sons of promises throughout the Bible find their endpoint in the Son of Promise, Jesus Christ. You see, all these 
these sons of promise find their end point, their culmination in Jesus Christ. We see this in uh, two different genealogies found in the New Testament. First, we see that Matthew, writing to his Jewish audience, he, he writes this genealogy that shows that Jesus is this direct descendant from King David to prove that he is the Savior of the Jewish people. And then if you go and look in Luke, we see this other genealogy that traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam to prove that he's not just the Savior of the Jews, he's the Savior of all mankind, of Jews and Gentiles. We find great hope and joy and comfort in God that he has delivered this Redeemer, the true Son of Promise. You see, with Noah, we, when we look at Noah, we see that everything's evil, everything's wrong, everything's going awful. And it says that uh, when, when God looked at Noah, he, he showed favor to him. It says in 6 verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So what's going on? He's fixing to destroy all these men, women, children, plants, trees, animals in this massive global flood. But he's saying, hold on, I'm still God and my promise is still real. And it's going through Noah. And then you come, a little bit later on, you come to Moses. And here's his people that he's put into this place that uh, into, into uh, captivity under the Egyptians. And nothing's looking good. And then these, we, we go through the plagues and uh, Pharaoh finally releases them. They get to the Red Sea and there's no way out. God makes a way out. And he says, look at Moses, look at all that's going on. I'm still God and my promise is still real. All through the Old Testament... Again and again and again, we see God proclaim, I am still God, and my promise is still real. See, every bit of it is foreshadowing, and every bit of it points to Jesus as the one true son of promise. So here we sit, 2,000 years after the coming of the promised son. My My question to you this morning is, It's a simple one. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see what God has laid out in Genesis 5? Do you see it? Do you see that he's been at work throughout all human history to draw us back to him? Not because we are worthy, but because he is a holy covenant-keeping God. Do you see it? Because here's the thing. If God allows you to see it, it can never be unseen. It can't be unseen. And if the Lord Jesus has revealed himself to you and you have chosen to follow him, then you are a new creation in Christ and are no longer dead in this world, but alive in him. says that we are changed from the inside out by the working of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't experienced that, today can be the day. So do you see it? Part two of that is, do you want others to see it? 
All right. If you're here this morning and you haven't decided to follow Jesus, today can be the day. Uh, If the Lord revealed something to you this morning through the foolishness of my preaching, then by all means, we'll, we'll talk more about Jesus and how he can wash you in his blood and make you clean and that you can spend eternity with him. Um, let's pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Genesis chapter 5. We thank you for your whole word, all of scri- scripture that is God-breathed, Lord. May we meditate on it. May we focus on it. May we drill it down into our hearts. May, may we be able to repeat it to our children, to our spouses, to those we come into uh, contact with that don't have any hope, Lord. May, may your hope pour out of us. May your love pour out of us. Forgive us where we fall short, Lord. I, I thank you for, for showing us through this genealogy that Noah was a, was a deliverer, deliverer, Lord. But he wasn't the deliverer. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you rescued us. Thank you that it's not based on our merit, Lord, because we know our merit is faulty and trash. It's not good. Nothing. We're just lowly. And we need a Savior. We are dead in our sin and we need a Savior. And Jesus, you are that Savior. There is no one else. You alone are the light of the world. Be with us now, Lord, as we leave out of here, Lord. May we be your ambassadors. May we share this good news with everyone you bring in our path, Lord. May we seek to serve you and not live for ourselves. May we die to self and live for you. May we decrease and may you increase. Uh, Be with us now as we Eat, Lord. Thank you for the, uh, the hands that prepared the food. May we just enjoy fellowship with one another and enjoy your presence. We ask these things in your name. Amen.